in the Glory Land way and on the Glory Land road. It's a good spot to be in. It's great to see each of you here this evening, both members and visitors alike. We are thankful that you have taken the time out of your schedules to honor God, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's go to God, please, together in a word of prayer. Merciful and kind Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your care. Hallowed be your great and amazing name. Thank you, Lord God, for Jesus, your great Son, in whom you so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary, who died in our stead, who died because of our sin, who died in faithfulness to you, and who died because of the great love with which you had. Help us to honor you, O God, the Godhead, in all things, in all that we say and do. And please guide us, guard us, lead us and direct us as only you can. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Isaiah, please, chapter 5. Twister, the next game. Um, games are kind of fun. I was thinking to myself, how can I get... James into a game of Twister. I think I'd win, but I don't know. He might not want to play. Because he, the object of this game, um, to be able to outmaneuver your opponents and, uh, spin the spinner and determine, um, I guess, you, you know, um, which color you're going to land on or which foot or which hand you're going to move. And then as players get twisted up, whoever falls loses. I don't think the game's for older folks, right? Kind of, kind of hurt a little bit. So then I thought I was thinking about the games, uh, and I it was the game Twister, and I thought, you know, how how appropriate in thinking about Satan to say maybe that's a game he really likes, if you will, the game of life, and that with the idea of of Twister because he loves to twist the Bible. And twist up people's lives and just, and just mess us up. Right? Satan, Satan twists the Bible in, in so many ways to his pleasure. And, and he's always, if you will, uh, trying to make man who, mankind who tries to take a stand. He wants to twist us up and, uh, even bring us to the point of irrational doctrines. Right? Or doctrines that are not even found in the Word of God. So, he played this a long time ago in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. God warns, if you will, through the prophet. And he says, Woe to those who call good or evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. He twists things up, right? Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own eyesight. So I thought to myself, is it possible that we have some, some twisted views of life even, even found in the church? And the answer is, yeah, it really is. Think about this for a moment. Have you ever heard this? God wants me to be happy. Now, if you're a counselor, you'll find that statement made when people are about to get a divorce. Right? God wants me to be happy, and so that's why we're getting a divorce. I'm unhappy. You hear that, right? Okay, that, that's one. Um... Wrote another one. God won't give me more than I can handle. And then the rest of that statement goes talking to some folks. So if you're going through more than you can handle, 
then God is not to be trusted. The next one, we all worship the same God. You've heard that, right? That's all twisted as well. Bad things happen to good people. And so this proves that God is not fair. Right? Because why would bad things happen to good people? And yet when you read the Bible, the Bible says that no man's good. To kind of make sure that God clarifies that one. And then I love this one. We're all going to the same place. You've heard that, right? So it doesn't matter how you live or what you do. It doesn't matter anything. You just, we're all going to the same place. That's not what the Bible says. Now, look at what he did with Jesus. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. You're familiar with the temptations of Jesus uh, out in, uh, in, the, in the wilderness. I'm going to go to Matthew 4. And I want you to think about kind of uh, this in, a, in maybe a, a different way, but exactly what the Bible says. Verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. You ever seen someone on, on the side of a bridge? Ready to jump and end their lives. Where'd that twisted viewpoint, vantage, idea come from? Satan basically told Jesus, just jump, right? Now, whether Satan believed that, that God would protect him or not doesn't matter. The point is, he challenged Jesus to jump off of a high pinnacle or a high place. And that's what Satan has people doing today. The same Look, Satan, eventually I'm going to bring a lesson to you. And I want to show you from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I'm not going to say all of Satan's tricks, but a bunch of Satan's tricks. And he does the same stuff over and over again. Puts a different package on it. You know, a different face, etc. It's the same stuff. That's why the New Testament says that we are not unaware of his schemes. Because it's the same stuff, right? Just presented in different ways. Malachi chapter 2, please. So look at how twisted Satan has caused the world of religion to be. Malachi 2 and verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them or, where is the God of justice? And so, here's this, this complete confusion, right? I mean, you know, everyone who does evil is good because, because the people that are doing evil are getting away with it, therefore it must be good, and the people that are doing good are being punished, or it must be... I mean, it's all twisted up. The way they think about and thought about God, it's, it's mixed up. Chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against thee? You have said, it is vain to serve God. You ever heard that before? I don't know why you folks go to church. What are you getting out of it? I mean, what, what really, what is it all about? Why don't you just stay home with us? Why don't you do this? It's vain. To serve. You're not going to get anything out of it anyway. Just, just stay home. I mean, the game's on, right? Or, or, or this, or we don't have to always be there, do we? You know, it's kind of that idea that, that in our minds that, you know, that going to worship is a chore. It's a gift. 
not a chore. It's a gift. See, it's, it's not coming to the building. It's not even really fellowshipping with the brethren. It's coming to a place that's been designated by our area to be able to lift our, our hearts to God and say, thank you. Because this is the day of worship. It's a gift. That's why I'm here. Not because I have to be here. Not because others expect me to be here. Because I'm willing to accept my gift from God. Well, they were mixed up too, you see. They said it's vain to serve the Lord. You've said it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we keep His charge? And... That we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. I mean, what's the point? What was the point of fasting? What's the point of asking God to help us if he's... What's the point in all of this? Have you ever... Um, I did this once. I was at Soldat and I was just kind of in worship, sitting in the, in the, um, in the pew. And I kind of glanced out the window a little bit. And I was watching all the cars just zoom by in both directions going north and south. And I said, look at this. And they, I mean, and they look over and go, man, those folks, they're still there, you know. And those folks, they, I mean, I don't want to judge them. I don't know where they, where they were going, but the, the ones that weren't going to worship, well, it was kind of vain in their minds, especially in the summertime, right? You could be, I could be out fishing. What are you going to get by being there? The, verse 15 says, so now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are, are the doers of wickedness built up, but they also test God and escape. So it's that same idea that, that Asaph had a long time ago where he's like, you know, you know, it seems like the, the bad people get away with everything and they've got the better lives and, and the good people, well, they, they have the worser lives, if you will, or they, I don't know what, what's better. That's how Satan twists it up, see? It makes us feel like there's, there's no purpose, uh, no rhyme, or reason for what we're doing. Right? Turn to Luke, please. Chapter 16. We've seen it. We've seen how Satan has twisted the, the viewpoints, if you will, of humanity. And, and, you know, you grow up and you say, okay, what's the most important thing? Well, okay, graduate high school and then go get a good job. Go to college, right? Probably more. Go to college or some kind of school. Educate yourself. Uh, get a good job, whatever it may be. Make a bunch of money. And then you'll find happiness. It's so far from the truth, isn't it? So far from the truth. But it's, it's all mixed up, you see. It, it's, it's confusing when Satan gets involved. Luke 16 and verse 14. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and they were scoffing at him. So they're listening to Jesus and Jesus is saying, he's talking, giving a parable about the good steward or, or the steward, right, unrighteous steward. And he's talking about you know, you need to be careful with your love of money, right? He says, don't love money. And he's, he's giving that, and he's saying, you can't serve both, right? So that's the kind of the end. And then they begin to scoff God, right? They're scoffing at God. And then, and then Jesus makes this amazingly profound statement. He says, verse 15, he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men, but God knows your hearts for that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. 
Who would ever call money detestable? Right? Or the love of it, right? Our attitudes toward this piece of paper or coin. That the mindset behind that is detestable to God. That's a verse you just rip out and throw away, right? We don't want to think about it like that. We want to think, no, no, God loves. No, God says that that piece of, of, of um, gold or silver that's causing problems in the world is detestable to God. It's not making money. It's what you do with it, right? It's not making money. It's your attitude towards it. Satan has it all twisted. He even twisted up in the church. That sometimes we even find ourselves saying, money is evil. No, the Bible never says that. It's nothing to do with the money. It's, it's our attitude towards it, right? How we use it and what we do with it. Uh, go back to Proverbs, please. Backwards to Proverbs chapter uh, 17. But they justified themselves and esteemed themselves to make themselves look better than everybody else. They justified their spending, if you will. Those Pharisees and scribes and leaders. Okay, let's make sure we, we, we're not finding ourselves getting this twisted. Verse 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and who condemns the righteous. Oh, we've seen that, haven't we? Both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. So you got to be careful on that. With that idea of justification, right? Like, whose side are you on? Well, I want, I gotta find a way to justify the wicked because that's my friend. Right? And then, and then I'll condemn the good or the righteous. That's one of those twisted things that, that Satan is involved in. He just, he just twists stuff up. Job chapter 41. And, and it gets, it, it's very confusing at times because of the fact that Sometimes we fall for it, right? I mean, you, you ever done this before? You ever watched a movie and found yourself rooting for the bad guy? And then you go, wait, why am I rooting for that guy, right? This is something else, I don't know, maybe. Job 41, verse 11. Who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. God owes me. That's not what it says. It says, you, you have never given me anything. So when it comes to offering, you go, well, I'm giving. We even said, let's give God a small, small portion. Why don't we just be honest? Let's give God back what's his. <laughs> right? I'm going to give God back what is already his, that he already owns, that he's always owned, that will forever be his. And he gave me a little bit of it, but he didn't really give it to me. He loaned it to me. And now I've got to do some good stuff with it. And all belongs to him. God's question is, what has man ever given me? What has man ever loaned to me that I should repay him? Do I owe God or does God owe me? Sometimes we get that twisted, don't we? Okay. So Satan and, and the world of false religion. I want to go to Second Peter, please. Chapter, chapter 2. The world of false Religion, just kind of the ideas and thoughts, maybe the concepts that um, that I may have about life. You just have to be alert. You have to study the Bible. We have to make sure that we're we're ready for uh, things that may come our way. But I want you to think about what some of the false teaching 
is, you know, is that goes on in, in our world today, in and out of the church. Chapter 2, verse 17. These are springs, talking about evil men, false prophets in the church. These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. Verse 18, this sensuality, the world today is all about about passion, isn't it? And, and, and the word sensuality is just, you know, sexual. It's just such a, such a sexual world today, right? And, and people are, are mixed up and falling into these traps that Satan has laid out there. And it's, it's on our televisions. And I, I think the last time I, I heard it um, a long time ago, a statistic was like 70% of, of the, uh, the Internet is porn. And then I don't know what percent after that is just, is just sensual or sexual. And then there's that small piece of good that's in there, right? And, and false prophets have always taught that. People that tell us, now false prophets, you think of a preacher in the pulpit. No. People that are trying to tell you something that's good, that really is evil. Right? Mixing stuff up. Tricking and trapping us in the world of evil. Sensuality, they say, is the most important thing in life. Absolutely not. We know that isn't true. And these men are offering freedom to people who are enslaved when they themselves are enslaved. A slave cannot offer freedom to another slave. But yet they trick people and trap them. And we've got all this mass of confusion and wickedness and evil. And it's taken over the minds of so many people. Verse 12. But these like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct, to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge... Father, the destruction of those creatures also, or willing destruction, excuse me, of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you. Having eyes full of adultery and that never ceased from sin. Enticing Here it is. Unstable souls having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way. They have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And he he talks to us and says, you got to be careful because, because Satan is out there Mixing stuff up. Mixing our minds up. Making life confusing. Making life more difficult than it really actually is. Romans, please, chapter chapter 1. This is a work of Satan to bring confusion into our world. To bring confusion into the church. To bring confusion... 
even in our viewpoints of God. So much so to where, verse 24, Romans chapter 1, Therefore God gave them over to the, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This isn't just a homosexual, lesbian text. This text is about anything that we do where we exchange wickedness and evil or whatever it may be for God. Right? And, and so, so many times we find it, um, even, uh, in the Lord's church where we substitute God for something else. And that's what Satan does. You see, that idea, that, that mindset to substitute God for something else. But we're not going to call it God. So you wouldn't do that. No, we won't do that. We won't say, this is our God. I mean, they did in Israel, but we're not going to say that. Instead, we'll just say, well, you know, tonight I've chosen, this morning I've chosen this, because I need to get this done. It's really important to me, while forsaking God. Or, I, I was going to pray, but I had to, and then, and we forsook God again. Or, I was going to read my Bible, and I had every intention to, but I've exchanged something for God. There Satan is again, mixing us up. What am I exchanging for God? I don't have enough time to read my Bible. Why? I'm, well, I mean, I do have time, but I'm busy doing this. And so, oh, it's summertime, guys. So since it's summertime, there's so much you've got to do in your yard. So God understands if you don't read your Bible for... I remember someone told me, don't worry about it, it's the 90s. That's back in the 90s, right? <laughs> don't worry about it, it's the 90s, God understands. Like, oh, well, I didn't even know God in the 90s, right? Like, what? Oh, so God changes with the times. Yeah, he changes with the time. Oh, that makes sense. Now it's a lot easier, right? All right. Actually, it was the 80s. Excuse me. I mixed that up there. A little old. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was ahead of the game, though, you see. And we have to stay ahead of the game as well. We have to be prepared when Satan comes. But you know, Satan always comes in a way we don't expect, right? If you lock the front door, he's coming through the back. If you lock the front and the back, he's coming through the window. I mean, he's going to find a way in if we open our doors, if we open our hearts and allow him an opportunity. Never give Satan the opportunity to enter into your mind. So back to the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, beginning at verse 5. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, I like that. You know, I could do this. I could do that. And I could fall for this. And I could fall for that. But thank God there is the other hand, right? Or I could just follow Jesus, right? 
That's what I could do. I could just follow. Why does that sound so simple? But if you talk to your friends and they say, well, hey, why don't we, uh, we're going to go for the weekend. We're going to go fishing for the weekend or camping for, oh, now I'm meddling, right? Camping for the weekend and we're not going to worship, though. We're not going to church. We're just going to go and have a really good time and come back. Or on the other hand, why don't I go with you on Friday, have a great time with you on Saturday, get back in time for worship on Sunday, and then I'll join you again next weekend. How about that? You know, we're going to go on vacation, and we go on vacation, you know what we don't do, right? Because no one knows. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, we don't go to worship on vacation. No one knows. Yeah, God does know. On the other hand, why don't you plan your vacation around worship? And by, oh, Bible study too on Wednesday night? That's a good thing too. Yeah, wonderful. Right? Even on vacation. Preachers meddling tonight. I better get ready to end this lesson. First Peter, chapter 5. Christians aren't supposed to suffer. So why in the world are we suffering? That's what they say. I mean, you know, if you think about it, if, if I'm going to become a Christian, and then I'm going to start suffering for it, then why would I become a Christian? Well, it's funny how when you were in the world, maybe we, we forgot but or have forgotten, but we suffered there too. Right? See, whether we're a Christian or not, we're going to suffer. And when we're in the world, Satan, Satan keeps us happy, if you will. So we stay put. We kind of stay where we are. As long as there's an adversary, God's people are going to suffer. And yes, we suffer but we conquer. We're going to close in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, in a few more passages in this verse. Be of sober spirit. I'm not sure that means what it says, are you? Just a question, since we're twisting things up. Be of sober, when should I be sober? Always. Always. Always be of sober spirit because be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And someone says, well, I know. I mean, when if Satan jumps out at me, I'm going to Sober up quickly. Well, that's not what God was talking about. You got to stay on the alert, church, because God, God wants you to live and Satan wants you to die. God wants us to be in heaven and Satan wants us to be in hell. God wants us to be blessed and Satan wants us to be cursed. And it's when you let your guard down that Satan gets us. When you step away from sobriety, it's when Satan grabs a hold of us. And he says in verse 9, but resist him. Well, how can you if you're not a sober spirit? If you're not on the alert, if you're not ready, ready for action. I remember many nights in a foxhole. You think we were sober? <laughs> Guaranteed you we were. Eyes open, 
can't even close your eyes sometimes. Be ready. Because while you sit in this auditorium, Satan's been trying to mess with your mind. I don't think about this. Where am I going when I leave here? What am I going to do? Scheduling my week, whatever it may be, but this is worship. Nothing should take the place of worship. And I know we can't help it sometimes. It's just, it's just, it's just life. God says, I need you to focus. You're worshiping. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We're all struggling. But listen to this one, and we'll close. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. We win. Right? I just... Don't let Satan twist your thinking. And it's easy, I know. It, it was, it's more um, evident when you know, we, we have to justify maybe our own actions or the actions of another. And Satan has this idea. I, can, I, know, how we can, I know how we can fix this. Stay true to God. And stay true to yourself. Tonight, if there's anything that uh, we can help you with through prayer, as you'll make that known. If you are not a Christian, we encourage you to surrender today to Christ in the waters of baptism for the remission of your sins. If there's anything we can do for you, please uh, make it known. While together we stand and sing our song of invitation.